Running with Jake, the podcast. On this episode, a niggle isn't really medically defined. There's no real precise when is it a niggle, when is it an injury. There's sort of a fair bit of, I guess, crossover, um, an overlay of symptoms, you could say, for most of these. Running with Jake, the podcast. Because every runner needs the occasional plot. And here's your host, Jake Lowe. Welcome to another episode of Running with Jake, the podcast, your weekly dose of running motivation. Feeling very good today, firing on all cylinders, and I woke up knowing it was going to be an exceptional day. Uh, First of all, I have the club tonight, a club session. Always look forward to the club sessions now as a new member of WADAC. And uh, Pete, the producer, the non-running guy, producer of the show, uh, you've had breakfast with the chickens up the garden. So we're really setting the tone of the show. This is a positive show. Positive. Yeah, well, we've, we've got a new chicken. Her name's Kojak. She's possibly the best person I've ever met. Um, yeah, very good friend. Uh, just just thinking here, just thinking, uh, out of the box a little bit, as you obviously referred to K- Kojak, Kodak, Kojak? What was it? Kojak, yeah, because she's bald, you see. She came from the rescue place completely bald, so uh, Kojak, because of the um, bald detective from when we were children. So I do apologise to anyone who's uh, young. <laughs> well, you did refer to Kojak, I noticed there, as, as a person. You referred to Kojak as a person. I'm not sure... I'm sure that's entirely accurate, but let's just assume it is. Is there a chance that we could gain another listener to the show here? I'm not all about audience and figures and downloads, but I'm just kind of, you know, I'm thinking, if Kojak's a person, could you introduce her to the show? Them to the show? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, I'd be quite happy to... uh... I'm quite happy to play the show to uh, to Kojak tomorrow and she'll be very excited about the number of shout-outs she's had. Yeah, totally. <laughs> there we go. Silver lining. One happy chicken. That's what we like on this show. <laughs> Moving on from chickens, today we do have a special guest. Well, we All our guests are special. He's not a special guest, but he's been on before. He's a friend of the show. Brody Sharp out in Australia. Physiotherapist, super passionate guy. Really passionate about helping runners uh, run more and spend less time injured because that's just miserable right nobody wants to be injured and i was thinking when i was exchanging a few messages with brody arranging the call to get him on the show that's probably one of the most difficult parts of my role as a coach and if there's any coaches listening they may relate to this because you want to be like a pillar of positivity you want to help people facilitate their journey and their goals achieve their goals work towards races and things that they want to 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 do but sometimes you have to have on occasions a difficult chat and i'm talking specifically with regards to races and potentially not doing races through a setback that they may have experienced this has happened uh, recently um to me actually with a couple of my runners they've just picked up a little bit of a niggle and and the back running they're doing really well but it's it's is it enough are they back running soon enough to be able to still stay on target for their race, and especially when we're talking something big like a marathon, but it's so hard because as a coach, you don't want to, you don't want to be a dream stealer, you don't want to do that. But of course, and I, I, I said to them the other day, I put a message in the group actually. I said, guys, look, make no mistake about it, I care about you as people first and foremost. I care about you as people more than you're running and keeping you safe. You know, long term health and all that sort of stuff is so important, but it's it's very difficult. It's very difficult to say, right, I'm going to defer this race now. This thing that I've been really working towards, I'm going to defer it to next year. It's, it's an important thing to, it's an important decision to make, I think, a brave decision. Yeah, it is. And I can imagine making it yourself is actually really, really tricky. So having a professional who knows what they're doing, like your good self, um, or just anyone you happen to be working with and anyone who's informed, um, that's got to really sort of, you've got, that's got to be a big thing, hasn't it? Because what it, what you're doing is, is you're allowing a professional to make that decision for you, or at least not make the decision for you, but give you the power and give you um, permission to make that decision for yourself. It is a difficult decision to make. And look, you know, if you work with a coach or you don't work with a coach, it doesn't have to be a coach, actually. It can be anybody in your running circles, your club buddies, uh, family and friends that don't run, you know. And sometimes just having somebody that genuinely listens and using them as a sounding board can be really helpful because often we have the answer inside, but we don't necessarily like the answer that's right for us. So in this case, I know 
it's the right decision to defer this marathon that I've been working to. I know it's the right thing to do for my body and long-term running health, but I really don't want to, and it's going to make me really grumpy, and oh, all my friends are going to be doing it, and I, just, oh, I want to do it. But you know the answer. You've just got to come to terms with that, and sometimes talking it through can be massively helpful. But thinking long-term, thinking long-term. So if you're listening to this now, and this is a show about positivity and motivation, of course, but we also want to keep things very real. And if you have a big goal coming up, whether that's a marathon or a half marathon or something, and you know deep in your heart of hearts that actually it's probably not the smartest decision for you to pursue this right now. Maybe the timing isn't right and you are coming back from injury. So if you're listening to this now and maybe you've got a race coming up and you know in your heart of hearts that you probably shouldn't be taking part right now, the timing isn't right for you, maybe you've missed too much training or you're still carrying a bit of an injury, a bit of a niggle, don't put yourself in that situation. Make the smart and brave decision. It is a brave decision and it won't bring you immediate joy, but I promise you, you will be so grateful for it in the long term. You really will. Right, with that said, let's get back to being positive. That's what we're all about. Let's get today's guest on. For the show notes and video content, go to runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast. Running with Jake, the podcast. Today's guest is Brody Sharp, physiotherapist, friend of the show. He runs the Breakthrough Running Clinic out in Melbourne in Australia. He's also the host of the Run Smarter podcast series. So it's great to be chatting with a fellow podcaster. And he can now call himself an author. His brand new book, Run Smarter, evidence-based guide and expert opinions to help you survive and thrive as a runner. Brody, my man, welcome back to the show. Good to be catching up with you. How are you doing? Good, mate. Jake, Pete, it's good to be back on. Good to have a chat. Do you know what? It's great to have you back on. Great to chat running. And I'm, I'm, it's even better to talk about thriving as a runner. I mean, as runners, we all <laughs> want to do that. We all want to thrive. We don't want injury. That is not a good thing at all. I've noticed we're, we're obviously chatting on, on Zoom here. I can see you on the camera. We've had you on a couple of times. That looks like quite a nice setup you've got there. Have you changed things since you were uh, since we last spoke? Proper professional, that mate. I know, mate. I have been slowly converting my downstairs area of my house into a bit of a clinic and making it. Try to. I try to convince myself that I'm a professional, and so try to make my surroundings a little bit more professional every time. And um, yeah, it's it's looking nice so far. I've got a, a nice handy uh, rehab studio around the corner, just like you know turn left out of my room and uh, <laughs> mainly I just spend it, spend most of the days there just working out. But, you know, if a client does come in, I'm happy to rehab them. But most of the stuff that I'm doing at the moment is online, treating runners and, yeah, having a blast. I love it. You see, we want to help you and send more people your way. Obviously, you can look after runners over in Melbourne at the uh, the Breakthrough Running Clinic. And now you're like, oh, man, how inconvenient. It's like I was right in the middle of some bench press here and I've got to, I've got to help somebody that's injured. This is not good. I love it. I love it. Well, I've, I've seen, obviously, we, we stay in touch periodically. I see you on the old uh, social media as well. You're now on YouTube. So I've, because I saw the setup that you had on some of your YouTube videos, because you, you've just launched that channel as well, haven't you? So it's, you must be keeping yourself pretty busy at the moment. Book out and everything is crazy, man. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Good to hear that you are finding time to train yourself. Look, let's jump straight to it, right? There's, I was thinking this earlier. Over breakfast, as uh, I try we to keep myself this at 8 a.m. over in the UK, uh, evening for you, for you, of course, Brody. There's never really a fun time to talk about injury, of course, but I think there's a good time. And... Knocking on the door of autumn marathons, as we are now. So, you know, people in the thick of their training. This is a time where so I always find it's a funny period, Brody, because the people have done so much training for marathons. But, yeah, there's still a long way to go. Uh, obviously, putting the body under a lot of stress. When we had you on the show before, we were talking about the kind of load um, and the tolerance levels of the body and the tissues. And, and obviously, finding that sweet spot can help you to avoid injury. So I think now it's quite good, really, to start to talk about those little warning signs as well. Because as a coach, the, the thing that I often get asked a lot, and, and people aren't sure about this, is the difference between a, you know, a niggle, as we call it, and, and a full-blown injury. When does something become an injury? When, when, when should we be starting to take some positive steps to maybe seeing an expert like yourself to remedy what's going on. What, what are the warning signs? What's your thoughts, man? There are some warning signs and there are some, I guess, my advice for when it's time to get it assessed and not. Um, it, these are only, I guess, my opinions because a niggle isn't really medically defined. There's no real precise, when is it a niggle? When is it an injury? There's sort of a fair bit of, 
I guess, crossover, um, an overlay of symptoms, you could say, for most of these. Um, but like you say, people in the thick of their training, they have high training volumes. It's expected that you get a little bit sore, a little bit stiff here and there. And that's just because the body's just trying to catch up, adapt to the load that you're giving to it. Um, let's start off by talking about, I guess, good pain, bad pain, trying to separate the two, because that could be a really nice place to start. So the good pain that we have in terms of symptoms would be what we classify as DOMS, delayed onset muscle soreness. We call that good pain because it's the necessary soreness that we get from in our muscles to get stronger. I think most of us would recognize if we've had a doing hill sprints or doing a gym session or a fitness class that we haven't done for a long time, the next day you're pretty bloody sore. And it's usually just because you've done something, not too much. It's not like you've overdone things, but it's just something new, something that's just pushed you a little bit. And the body does a great job of, you know, be going through this little process over a couple of days in order to rebuild, rejuvenate, regenerate, and sort of become stronger because of it. And so that's what we consider the good pain and has certain characteristics that we can follow in terms of working out, okay, is a good pain, is a bad pain. And so most people would recognize delayed onset muscle soreness as it's in the name, it is delayed. It's not something that arises during a run. It's not something that arrives immediately after a run. There's usually a delay period of 24 hours, give or take, sometimes 48 hours for some, but that's when the onset of symptoms would happen. You can also talk about the characteristics in terms of the location of the pain. And it's usually located in the belly of the muscles. So if you do a chest press, you know, usually it's around your chest, biceps, etc. It's not really a pinpoint focal area of soreness that usually happens with tendons or with a bursa or something that, you know, goes awry there. Um, and so usually happens the next day, usually within the belly of the muscle. Usually the soreness can be produced when you activate or stretch that muscle. You can usually elicit that soreness. And so they're sort of characteristics that we would put into the good pain. Um, we do have the bad pain, which sometimes has some crossover. Um, we know that sometimes tendon injuries can arise the next day following exercise, but that's when we'd like to fall back on the location of the pain because sometimes with a tendinopathy, it is you know located in the tendon. It's usually a pinpoint focal area that you can sort of point to with one or two fingers and not really have to, you know, describe a wide sort of vague area. Um, but any sort of pain that arises in the, um, during the run or immediately after the run, most of the time would be categorized into your bad pain, which I would say, which I suggest in my book can be separated into an injury that needs to get assessed or a niggle that's, you know, not that serious, um, which we can probably divide into, we could probably discuss the difference of those two if you wanted to you mentioned uh, you know this is your opinion that's what we love you know like with yourself i'm sure when you're speaking to different experts on, on your show it, it's nice to get different different opinions um and 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 valued opinions as well and i think i really like what you mentioned about the doms there so the delayed onset of muscle soreness because i've been training years even before i was a coach Brody, i was i was into the gym and stuff not not as a runner but just in for, for fitness and well-being and aesthetics to a degree and all those kinds of things as a young guy but it, when you mention that, like, look, it's delayed. It's, it's, you don't feel it immediately. You know, you, it's, that's why it's delayed onset. So how does it, how do you feel the following day? Because that can sometimes be a sign. Whereas if you're feeling something during a run, it's probably not going to be delayed <laughs> onset of muscle soreness, right? It could be, uh, you know, it could be something a little more serious potentially. And also what you mentioned, they're not localized. So typically, again, you know, we're saying typically here, usually belly of the muscle. So it's not like a really specific point where you get, ow, that hurts when I press that. It's usually deep within the belly of the muscle. So location of and timing of discomfort. Some people might call it pain, but discomfort, soreness. I really like that. I think that's really helpful to differentiate, which is what we're talking about here, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, some it, interpreting symptoms and like trying to decipher what's happening with your body most people have heard runners, the, the advice, listen to your body. Most people know that, but some people struggle with, okay, they listen to their body, but not knowing how to interpret those sensations that they're experiencing. So it can be really nice to work out the difference. I think something that's really useful as well, Brody, I'm interested to get your thoughts on this, is looking back 
over your training history. Now, I, you know, I, I say to everybody, look, log your training. It's so useful. Only this week, you know, only Tuesday now as we record this yesterday, I think there was three of my runners that I, I um, pointed them back towards some sessions that they've done previously. Now, this is not an injury related thing, although in one case it was. It was because they're doing a similar session. They've got a similar session coming up, although it's a little more intense, if you like, a little more challenging. Look back at the notes that you left for me, because they're not just for me, they're for you as well, and how you found the session last time we did it. What can you learn from it? What did you learn from it? How, now, that will help inform you as to how to execute the session that's coming up. The same can be said i think this is where i want your view on injury because if you know like we feel when you run you're under physical duress especially if it's an intense session so sometimes as you say it can be hard to differentiate you know it's down to the individual to almost look objectively to a degree and say well this is is this good pain is it bad pain how am i feeling you know you're going to feel physical symptoms because of the nature of what you're doing but these little let's say it's a niggle is it is it like a little warning sign is it something that you've had previously you know, this little symptom that you're picking up, like for me, for example, I know that I typically suffer with lower leg stuff, Brody. So, you know, very common calf strains, that type of thing. I've had shin splints for battled that over many, many years, fortunately no longer. Mm. But I know, I knew the warning signs. Does that make sense? So although I wasn't in pain during a run, I'd be, th- and it wasn't stopping me. I wasn't changing how I was running any of that. I'd think, oh, hang on, I've been here before. But if you don't log what you have done previously in training and also symptoms and injuries and detail and things like that you can't really form that i guess reference point so i think that's massively important what's your thoughts on that i would say well definitely agree with you with logging your workouts um but if you do encounter a niggle during that workout or after that workout it's good to log those things as well because you want to learn um how frequent it is how severe it is how long it lasts because if you can then track and see that this niggle is it keeps coming back or when it does come back it's of longer duration or it is now returned and it's a little bit more severe than what it was last week these are all signs that what you're doing what you're currently doing it's probably not agreeing with you and we don't want that niggle to turn into an injury because most people kind of convince themselves when they are injured oh it's just a niggle nothing to worry about don't get assessed don't change my training it's you know it's just a niggle but there's a very fine line and probably a crossover between a niggle developing into an injury. And I usually would define a niggle as something that doesn't need to be assessed because it's occurrence is so brief and like less threatening. Um, so sometimes these things can last seconds. Sometimes they can last minutes, um, probably at its most hours, but a niggle won't really carry over into the next session. If you go for a run and the Achilles is a bit stiff and then you go for a run the next day or a couple of days later and it's still there, I would say that is an injury slowly developing into something more serious. And so logging these things, logging the characteristics, particularly the location, how severe it is, and we usually just say out of 10, and how long it lasts, what the duration of that is, um, could be really crucial and definitely help to see if you're heading in the right direction. Because if you know it's just a random thing that just sets off and never happens again, no big deal. But if it does happen again, comes back with more severity, then it's something for you to pay more attention to and then maybe make some adjustments in your training to, you know, overcome it a lot quicker than if you weren't logging it and just none the wiser. Yeah, you make some great points there, actually. You know, logging that information as well, not just the training session, how you felt. You want to you want to log useful information. So whether you handwrite the old school diary, which I'm a big fan of, by the way, or whether you use the the online portal from your GPS watch or Strava or any of these things, log important, useful information, not just random stuff, just for the sake of logging, because you want you want to use it in the future, like you're saying, symptoms, you know, relevant symptoms, because that's an interesting one that you mentioned there, Brody, about you know how would you define a niggle, something that's kind of persistent as well. I guess the longer it goes on, the more important it is that perhaps you then get that looked at if it's if it's like an ongoing thing you know if it's an ongoing thing but the the symptom level so in terms of let's say we'll call it pain on a scale of one to ten ten being you know really brutal can't walk type thing you know really bad uh one being can't feel it at all when do we need to get it looked at if it's if it's like ongoing but it's like a two or a three so it's not stopping you it's not causing it it's not getting worse the following day but it's there do you know what i mean it's just it's just there what should somebody do in that situation do you think 
I have a I have a few pain kind of guidelines that I like to give people and let them know whether what they're experiencing is acceptable or not. And um, it covers a couple of bases. One, during the run, the symptoms need to be less than a four out of 10. And what is a four out of 10? Probably like we can delve into that if you like to, but a zero, one, two, three out of 10 during the run is what I would deem acceptable. Because usually in those lower levels of pain, people are still confident to place their foot on the ground and push off the ground without any compensations or hesitations, those sorts of things. Um, so there's no change in their biomechanics. Their fluent stride is still there. Their confidence levels are still there. So that's number one. Number two is following the symptoms afterwards. If you have a session, uh, if you do a run or if you do a workout and you observe the symptoms afterwards, you want to make sure that the pain returns to baseline within or less than 24 hours. So pain less than four out of 10 during the run returns back to baseline in less than 24 hours. Um, that's not back to zero because sometimes people with an injury or a niggle, they have a background tightness, soreness of let's just say one to two. So you want to make sure when you do that run, the next day it's back to that baseline one to two. The other pain rule that I have is that it needs to be improving week by week. If it's not improving week by week, then you need to get it assessed and treated because the odds of it continuing into week four, week five, week six, you know, is quite high if you're not noticing that improvement week by week. And so usually I say, if there's no difference in symptoms for three weeks, if it stayed just the same, even if it is a one or a two, probably get it assessed because the longer you've had it for, the harder it is to get rid of at the same time. So um, you don't want these things dragging on too much. And maybe there's just a slight adjustment that you need to make in order to see that improve week by week. And so some people might convince themselves that, oh, it's, it's a lot better this week, so I don't really need to, to see anyone. But then the week after, it's considerably worse. You're like, oh, well, maybe it's just a flare-up. Let me continue. And then the week after that, it's a bit better. And you can kind of follow them over six weeks of them convincing themselves that it's getting better. But yes, you had maybe two good weeks, a good third week, a really bad fourth week, and then a good fifth week. And you're sort of just like fluctuating. And that sort of long-term trend is looking a little bit more ominous or a little bit more realistic, you could say. And it's hard to sort of convince yourself otherwise. Brody, do you, do you find with some of the people that you, you help, you treat in person and, and, and remotely as well, do you find that honesty plays a key role in, in determining where you are on that pain scale? Of course, it, it, it is it's down to the individual and people have different kind of ways of monitoring things and a four for one person might not be a four for the next person. But I find honesty is really important because the reason I say that is, you know, now's classic. We mentioned autumn marathons and I've had uh, a chat with two of my runners who are, and it's never a comfortable chat, Brody, when you are potentially just encouraging them to start to think about their deferral options, about not doing it. You know, and that was never in the mind when they started the journey of a marathon, right? But unfortunately, we've come to a point where we go, well, your safety is paramount and your long-term health, running and otherwise, is the most important thing, not any race. So if somebody's really hell-bent on doing a race, right? Maybe it's the first marathon, they're raising money for a charity. Like, could they almost fudge the numbers a little bit in their mind? You know, tell themselves a different story because they're so driven on wanting to achieve that that medal that you know be on the starting line be there with the friends i find honesty is is absolutely crucial mm. yeah is that something that you you find with some of with some of your runners when it comes to that pain scale and the symptoms that they're feeling i guess it depends on personality as well doesn't it how driven they are as an individual which i know you touch on in your book kind of you know type a personalities that will stop at yeah. nothing i usually I can usually get a sense when someone isn't being honest, um, particularly if they are eliciting those traits and just like totally convince themselves they're doing something. They're very headstrong and, you know, just persevere through discomfort. Um, but I do like to educate them on, I guess, those pain levels, what I would like to describe those pain levels as. And then they might, you know, recalibrate themselves and say, you know what, maybe my four is more like a six or a seven. And you're like, okay, well, let's recalibrate and, um, set aside like um, these now new pain parameters. Um, so yes, but definitely honesty. And if I, I try and be as transparent as possible, hopefully I can get a sense sometimes when someone is being really honest and saying, I really need to get this. 
I really need to do this race. Um, it means a lot to me, like you said, as an example, doing it for charity. Um, to which like there's no right or wrong, but I like to really just lay out the risks and rewards that you know they might undergo. Because we have people that get injured, they're really headstrong, they get through that marathon, they just charge through it, and then they're just really sore afterwards. And, you know, that's their choice. As long as it's my job to sort of lay out all the potential factors, the risks and rewards and the um, what might go wrong, what might successes you might have, but um, usually try and give them some sort of percentages or I guess um, options of what might happen or what will happen if, you know, you persevere through this injury. And as long as they have all of that, those options out to them and they sort of make their own justified sort of decision and they're well informed, then I'm just like, okay, well, if you want to do that race, let's do all we can to minimize the damage. Um, but for most people, they're quite sensible, especially when it gets to the end and that injury just isn't getting better. Um, I always like to remind them, you're going to live to race another day. You're going to look back this, you're going to look back on this race a year from now and do the same race next year. And it's going to feel so minuscule. It's going to feel like not a big deal, but in the heat of the moment, it does feel like it's a, it's a big deal to defer a race or, um, you know, or cut back to a shorter race distance. But, you know, that's only because we live in the heat of the moment. And like I say, the next year, it just won't seem like a big issue. Yeah, the psychology of training and racing and goal setting and all those things, making smart decisions is, is huge. It's a huge part of everything that we do. And it's not always so easy to necessarily get it right because we are driven and we do want to achieve these things. And it is our hobby for most of us. It's what we do to get some downtime from other stuff that we do in life. So it, it's understandable that you, you're you in the heat of the moment as you touch on, you know, you've, you're just almost that kind of that... Not not so long-term thinking, which I understand, because all you can see is the starting line, in this case, of being there in six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks' time in the race. But how are you going to be long-term? And that's it's, it's very important, to be honest with yourself. Just going back to that pain scale, because I think this stuff's really useful, Brody. you know, to give these kind of takeaways. There may be people running now listening to this that maybe they are just feeling something on that, that pain scale right now as they listen. They go, oh, God, I think I think they're talking to me. They're talking about me. So just to clarify, did you say one to three or one to four on on the pain scale is is acceptable? I say I say less than a four. Okay, great. So zero, one, twos, and threes. Okay, let's go for that then. So one to three or zero to three is is acceptable. Now you know this is a broad you know kind of thing here. We're generalizing a little bit. We're trying to give some real guidelines to help people. That's what we want to do, right, Brody? So one to three is acceptable but here's the thing you're not compensating from how you normally run we're not saying you're not running like kipchoge therefore you are you you know you must stop running what's your normal if you're deviating from that then that could be a sign that your body's finding a way around the problem to avoid that pain and discomfort which is just a little warning sign i think and i, I, I sense you're agreeing with this uh, brody nodding away on, on the screen here and is it is it getting worse we don't want it to get worse we don't want it to get worse. So monitor that and, and get those notes in your training diary or whatever you use because we want everybody, whatever your goal, to just keep bloody running because we love it. It's what we want to do. And if you choose to stop running, that's the key. You choose to stop running. You don't want the decision to be forced for you. So like I say to a lot of my runners, think long term. And as soon as any of them uh, pick up an, an injury or a niggle or you know that, push, that setback, they're frustrated, I straight away share with them, Brody, some of the times... You know, some of my notes for my log, I'll take photos and send them and say, look, this happened to me in this year and this year and this year. Now, I know that doesn't always help, but sometimes it can just, I think, help people feel a little bit more like, OK, this it's not just me. It does happen and I can return to training as well. If you make the smart decisions, you want to come back quickly. So let's say somebody's got uh, one to three now. I'm loving this scale. I'm all about scales today. So let's say it's one to three, right? So it's not stopping us, Brody. There's no huge change in in anything going on uh, running technique wise. Are there some changes that are worth making to that individual's training? Big question, I know. But like running on different surfaces, maybe reducing frequency, reducing volume, reducing intensity. Do do they need to test these things and monitor? have you got some thoughts around that? And we're not talking a specific injury or niggle, of course. Yeah. Well, I guess my answer would be depends on the type of injury, but there are some (laughs) things that we can do to significantly influence that injury, no matter where the location is. Um, We want to like the reducing the mileage is 
what we want to do is like a last resort. We want people to still run. We want, they have training plans that they need to stick to and any mileage that we take away, they have to try and catch up on or, you know, creates a bit more of a gap of where they're expected to be in that sort of reference point. And so reducing the mileage is probably going to be a last resort for most people. Reducing the speed, I guess, reducing the intensity, maybe just taking out that one um, short interval session that you had for that week, only just for that week, just to see or help symptoms settle would be another useful thing for most injuries, because we know that, you know, you accumulate greater ground reaction force when you run with speed. And we know that the muscles work a lot harder in terms of say, like hip flexors or calf or hamstring, they work exponentially harder, the faster you run. And so just backing off the speed a little bit sometimes is enough to help manage that injury a bit more. And you can still maintain that mileage. Um, but then we can make other little things. Yes. Hills. Um, we know that running downhill is, uh, particularly generates higher forces through the knee, through the ITB, um, running downhill or having an abrupt change in your downhill running is a common link between ITB syndrome. Um, we also know that running uphill is really tough for all of our propulsion muscles. So your calf, your Achilles. And so if you're facing with those types of injuries, maybe just backing off the speed and backing off the uphill work can be done. Um, other things, footwear, if you, particularly if you have issues around the feet, we can, try and manipulate the footwear, still keep the mileage consistent, but, you know, play around with maybe something more supportive or a change in the heel drop. Um, but these are all based on individual circumstances. Um, if someone's cadence is below optimal, uh, we know that increasing your cadence has really good influences on your knee mechanics and how much load is generated through your knee. Um, even just bumping up the cadence by five to 10% can reduce 15% of your knee loads, which is massive. So, Again, depends on the injury, but there are a lot of ways that we can be creative, be resourceful, um, to not just, you know, sacrifice mileage, but to, you know, still keep you running at those volumes and keep the pain levels, those acceptable pain levels within acceptable boundaries. Please forgive me. I don't often use this phrase, but I'm going to today. Thinking outside the box, getting creative, being resourceful. That goes for training in general, actually. Going off on a slight tangent here, but being resourceful and creative with your training in general is really important if you've got a barrier like time you know you're struggling to spin plates and and find the time to commit to your training sometimes you just have to take a step back take a step back think big term think long term think right what little changes can i make to give me the results that i want and the same goes when we're talking obviously about injury here so you mentioned lots of things there brody all of which could affect the intensity of a session, whether that's hills, running up a hill, running downhill, obviously subject to the injury, lower leg stuff, calves, Achilles might want to try taking hills out of your training for the timing and just monitor that. You know, it might be frequency, it might be volume, it might be speed, it might be recovery time between interval intervals. Maybe you're able to do intervals, but actually you're finding if you don't give yourself enough recovery between those repetitions, that's when this niggle starts to knock on the door of a four out of 10, rather than staying in the nice kind of safe area we want, ideally a zero, but one to three. So don't change everything, you know, go and buy a load of new shoes tomorrow because you don't know what's going to work for you. And I think as well, do do the easy things first, you know, give yourself a little bit of rest. And I'm talking obviously not as a physiotherapist, Brody, which is why it's so great to have you on the show, but as a coach and as a runner myself, what quick, easy, changes can you make so rest is the obvious one right and then maybe you know try running a little bit more on the flat maybe take out a bit of speed just play around and monitor go back to that logging we've spoken about a lot as to what how things are feeling for you you know where are you because you want to be as pain-free as possible now i'm really pleased that you mentioned cadence um Let's explain cadence if there's anybody listening that doesn't know what it is, or actually it's quite good just to have a bit of a recap. How would you define cadence, Brody? So cadence is the amount of steps that you take per minute and is relatively independent of running speed. Um, Most people will find or research and say that 180 is the magic number for cadence, which um, I take a deep dive into my book and say that uh, evidence doesn't really show that 180 is the optimal number for everyone. Um, We do go off a general range of between 165 and 185 for most, but tall lanky runners, they have a a optimal cadence lower than someone who has shorter, um, uh, shorter legs, you could say. Um, but yes, amount of steps you take per minute 
And if you're looking to increase your cadence, we need to make sure that you're not running faster just because, you know, someone told you that increasing your cadence by five to 10% helps. And then you just run really quickly because you're just trying to tick your legs over really fast. And so that's when treadmill training can come into it um, or just monitoring your speed quite quite closely um, could be really helpful. I think that's really helpful, Brody, that explanation. You know, it's, it's not a deep, deep dive into cadence now, but I do think it's definitely worth just putting it out there and saying, guys, this is this is what it actually is. And I think you make a really interesting point there about limb length as well. I find it quite easy to have <laughs> a relatively high cadence, but guess what? I'm a short ass. It's just the way it goes. So I find it easier and more comfortable to turn my legs over that little bit quicker. Not always connected to the speed, as you mentioned. So it doesn't mean you're running particularly fast. Often when we talk about cadence, we're talking about proper running a quote unquote so you're not kind of you know ambling you're not it's not that kind of recovery jog in your rest time between intervals it's it's you know normal running is when you start to find your kind of normal cadence and and from a lot of people we speak to on the show different experts Brody uh, the the kind of the common outcome with cadence is as you say 180 isn't necessarily based on the evidence the number that you need to hit so nine taking um 90 steps with with um your left foot and then 90 steps with your right foot but if it's a particularly low number particularly low then it might be worth looking at some drills and some little techniques to try and improve that and and monitor, see how you feel. The reason I pick up on cadence, with a slight tangent there, is because strength and conditioning and running drills and working on um, tissues, so, you know, some foam rolling and mobility, it's like it can overwhelm people, can't it? You know, we go and see a physiotherapist and they give us these exercises to do and we know it's good for us and we trust them, but actually oh, it's just time taken away from running and oh, oh, it's just a nightmare. What's your view on how to commit? So the importance of, I guess, twofold, importance of, and how to actually put these exercises, techniques, things that aren't running based, how do we fit them into our lives and what's the importance of doing that to improve things like cadence and ultimately reduce injury? I guess it would depend on the individual. Um, If someone is really... Well, first of all, the, the big rocks, we want to deal with the big rocks in the, the problem before dealing with the, the pebbles and then the grains of sand and that sort of stuff. So the big rocks are making sure that your training is in a nice setting, making sure the frequency is okay, your mileage isn't building up too much, your intensity distribution is within a nice balance. Um, that's first and foremost. The next one is like your overall recovery. What are you doing to recover? Are you getting good sleep? Are you getting good nutrition, good hydration? Are you taking care of yourself Um, stress-wise? What are your stress levels? That's They're like the big, big pillars. Um, When it comes to, I guess, training drills, does your cadence need work? Like like you suggested before, the importance of having a low cadence. If if your cadence is suboptimal and you're lower than, say, 160, definitely if you're below 155, work on your cadence. Unless you're really tall and really lanky, maybe 160 is okay. But for most, um, you'd want to increase that because it's going to improve your stride efficiency, going to improve your like just mechanics and form and that sort of stuff. If we then trickle down to things like stretching, massages, foam rollers, um, massage guns, all those sorts of things, I don't really hold them in a really high regard unless, uh, unless you're taking care of all the other big pillars first. If you're taking care of all the other big pillars and you're still feeling like you need to unwind, muscles are still feeling a little bit sore, um, and you find benefit from those things, if you physically find a profound difference before and after you foam roll, before and after you stretch or do mobility work or have a massage, um, then you can layer those on top of things. But I have people waking up 20 minutes earlier to do a foam rolling session when I would say definitely stay in bed for 20 more minutes because sleep is the best recovery tool we have. So we really need to prioritize these things. And then if you're doing everything really well and you find all those stretches and foam rollers and all those other um, passive treatments beneficial, then you can layer those on top. Yeah, I totally get that, Brody, talking about the big rocks, focusing on the things that are going to give you the, the most bang for your book, the biggest return for your efforts. You want that in training as well. You know, to give you a different analogy here, it's like the runner that really wants to achieve a target time and they're thinking, right, I'm going to spend all my money on this brand new, swanky, really expensive pair of carbon shoes, but they're running maybe twice a week. 
you know, extreme daft example, but that maybe actually increasing your frequency and running a little bit more is going to give you the biggest return rather than focusing on something else that is not going to give you that return. So I really like what you're what you're talking about there. You know, where should we we spend our efforts? And and it's it's easy to rest, right? And you know, spending extra time in bed, sleep. We know it's just such a powerful recovery tool. Maybe you don't sleep that well, and that's an area, a little area of focus for you with regards to training and wellness and helping you to improve your goals in the future. I think all that stuff's really, really important. Are you familiar with Dr. Richard Blaygrove? Yes, I've had him on my podcast once before. Fantastic. He's a, I I need to listen to that one. You've done about 8,000 episodes, so I'm slowly working my way through them. (laughs) I would love to get him on this show, actually. I, um, he's a strength and conditioning, I'm going to call him guru. Uh, He's a strength and conditioning guy and really passionate. I, I watched an England athletics webinar. I jumped on a webinar that he did the other week and it was really interesting. All about strength training for predominantly endurance runners. And like yourself, Brody, he's very heavily, as you will know, um, focused on the 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 science and the research and you know what what tests have been ran how do we know this where's the evidence and one thing that came out of this presentation he may have touched on this when you had him on the show was as he calls it microdosing which i really liked so you know time's a big thing for people isn't it as we often say oh i haven't got time to do this i haven't got time to do that strength train conditioning the relevant stuff the important stuff even if i class them as big rocks <laughs> you know i don't have the time well, actually, he was saying there's a lot of evidence and research to suggest that microdosing. So rather than trying to find an hour or let's face it, an hour and a half, if you've got to travel to a gym and maybe even two hours, you're showering afterwards, traveling back to an hour workout, breaking up the elements that you need to do within one session and spreading them over the course of a week. Because it might be easy for some people to find 10, 15 minutes a few times a week rather than to find an hour, hour and a half or more in one hit each week. So I thought it was really, really interesting just to help shift people's thinking a little bit on that breaking up those elements of training that they need to do. Because sometimes you've got to get, you know, you mentioned creative, being creative and resourceful. You've got to get a little bit clever for most of us because we're not, we're not full-time athletes. What's your thoughts on organizing strength and conditioning and I mean, do you think that's a good strategy, first and foremost, this microdosing, breaking the things up that you need to work on? But also, how important is it that we we commit to, to some form of strength and conditioning each week? Or isn't it important? It definitely, definitely is important. Tons of research to show that if you do, if you commit strength training twice a week, you will become a better runner. You become more efficient. Um, you run more economically and you will outperform yourself, outperform your competitors. And that is with endurance athletes as well. There's a misconception out there that, you know, I just need to spend more time running. And that might be the case for, you know, beginner runners or someone running twice a week. Um, You know, doing more running will get you better at running. But you'll reach a plateau where if you're training four or five or running four or five times a week, um, adding in more running will increase your risk of an overuse injury. If you try and combat running with more running, you'll get to a certain point, a certain brink where your likelihood of an overuse injury starts to increase. So that's when we need to start diversifying and filling in all of our energy buckets to produce force, to produce power, to gain in that um, how your muscles work and actually work efficiently. We need to do it with other things that won't just overload you with the same repetition, the same running action the whole time. And um, yes, Rich Blagrove, big component in um, my understanding of strength and conditioning. Um, he's talked about um, the importance of heavy sort of strength training. Once you've developed yourself, um, once you've got used to the technique of a deadlift and a squat, then um, you want to start increasing the weight rather than just increasing the reps and keeping a really light weight and doing, say, 15, 20 repetitions. You want to increase the weight and hover around maybe an eight to 10 rep range. Um, but yeah, I, I like to talk about a minimalist for someone who is a bit time poor or someone who doesn't like strength training and it's really hard to convince them to do so. Um, the really minimalist training stuff is calf raises, squats, deadlifts, lunges. That's what you need. Um, once you get good at those, add some weight. Rep ranges, three to four sets, eight to 10 reps. Do that twice a week and doesn't really take that long once you've sort of committed to it, especially if you've just purchased like adjustable dumbbells, probably that's all that's needed. Um, You know, you can just work out at home, just commit to a couple of exercises, takes, you know, 
15 to 20 minutes if you want to do that three or four times a week. Um, just do two exercises on one day, two exercises on another day. Do that over four days. It's can start to be a little bit more manageable and less daunting, frankly. I, I love that, Brody. I know I'm all for that. You know, my background as a personal trainer, somebody that's been involved in resistance work pretty much my whole life, certainly since I, I, I started, I guess, college in the college days. And I've, I've loved it. I genuinely love strength training, but some people don't. But if it's a needs must, and actually like you, you're saying, rather than adding right more running into the mix, you know, which could increase the risk of injury. And that's what we're chatting about today predominantly is let's keep you running and less time on the injury bench. We don't want that. But breaking up your sessions, the training across the week, I'm talking strength uh, and conditioning type of stuff now can be really helpful. And I, I think it's interesting as well, Brady, because we typically driven as runners, as we've mentioned, and I find that a lot of runners that do strength work, they 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 potentially get it a little bit long, wrong. I certainly think there is um, runners out there that do get it wrong, meaning they might be doing the 15 to 20 reps, so that higher repetition work, and giving themselves minimal rest. Because let's face it, runners want to feel like they've worked, right? They want to be out of breath. They want to get the heart rate high. They want to, you know, be crawling out of a gym session on their hands and knees, many of them. But that's not the purpose of that session, whether you're working out at home, as you're saying, Brody, you know, just having some an adjustable dumbbell, or you can get really creative with, you know, some objects around the house in a, in a backpack, just make sure your form's good. You don't need to do huge, huge amounts. And actually giving yourself significant rest between those those work periods, so your sets, and making sure the load is high, so you're lifting uh, the most resistance, pretty much a high resistance that you can lift with good form, and making sure you're not high up that rep range so you want to be you know eight to ten maybe pushing 12 initially when you first start out that's where you're going to get the strength changes as adaptation so that you're a stronger runner which is what we want you talk about force production there you know that's what you need to run well you need to be able to produce force in a in a very short amount of time that's what it's all about brody it's been a pleasure as it always is, catching up with you. Is it bedtime for you over there now? What, what are you doing for the rest of the evening? What time is it? It's, <laughs> it's, like it's dinner time. Dinner time. What are you having, man? What's going on? Pete, don't say shrimp on the barbie. He was about, he's been quiet for this whole chat. He was about to say shrimp on the barbie. I was not going to say that. I was not going to say that. You he's lying. He's lying. You know, you, you know how you can tell when people come and see you and they're lying? I can tell with Pete because he looks up and to the left. Pete, have you, uh, have you edited uh, last week's episode yet? Oh, yeah, 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 mate. Up and to the left. Up and to the yeah, left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you Always. go. Up to the Always. left. Up to the what left. are you having for Couldn't dinner? I'm not editing it. Just put it out. I have leftovers of a butter chicken stir fry that I'm looking forward to. Good man. That's that's been organised, isn't it? Leftovers. Love that. <laughs> Love the whole leftover thing. Well, look, if you do want to catch up with Brody, what he's up to, and uh, you can get your hands on his book as well, listen to his podcast, then we'll link everything in the show notes page, which is runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast. Brody, pleasure as always, my man. Enjoy your leftovers. Catch you soon, bud. I am. Thanks, guys. I had a lot of fun. Running with Jake, the podcast. Were you really not going to mention the shrimp on the Barbie thing? No, of course I wasn't, Jay. I'm better than that, you know. I was going to ask him about his ute, though, <laughs> and then call him a flaming galah. Um, <laughs> You're very honest. I know you're telling the truth. You look down and to the right there. No, I like him. He's great. Brody, love him to bits. And his podcast, if you've not heard it yet, uh, go and listen to it. And you were right. You were you were accurate. There are about 8,000 episodes out there. So, you know, if you enjoy this podcast, it's definitely worth having a listen to his. Mm. I mean, you could always put it on two times speed just to... Uh, you know, bank yourself a little bit of time there. That's uh, that's always quite useful. I hope you don't listen to our show on two times speed. I, I mean, is that, that, mm. I, I don't know. Would we be offended by that or would we just be grateful for having you listen to our show? I don't know. Is that bad <laughs> Well, thing? if I'm being honest, Jake, I think I think we speak quick enough as it is anyway. That's true. And so I think if you were to put this on two times speed, uh, you'd have a real problem. <laughs> so I suppose the alternative is what we could do is we could counter that by speaking slow motion. I don't know. We'll see. What do you think? I don't it's know. It's an option, isn't it? It's an option. I've gone the it other is. way now, talking yeah. really quick. Yeah. Try and listen to this on two times speed. I don't think you'll be able to. <laughs> oh, right. On that note, shall we move on from this? Pete, you have the stage, my friend. Uh, I think you should thank our beautiful patrons of the show. Uh, off you go. Yeah, thank you very much to our patrons. We do this, we do it for the love of it, we do it for free. Yes, we do have the occasional sponsor and they pay us a couple of quid and if I'm honest, the last one haven't paid us yet. We're still waiting for the invoice to come through um, and the uh, the PO number, but you don't need to know all of those details. <laughs> you don't need those details. What I'm saying is we do this, it's pretty much free and we we um, we pay for it and, and so do our patrons who help us and, and you know help us out with the production of this 
show. If you do enjoy it and if you um, take value from the content and maybe you use the tips in your running and you get the motivation um, and uh, and you've got a few quid lying about every month, then, you know, send it our way. If you do want to, um, you can, of course, just go to runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast and click on the Patreon banner. It's at the top there. It's like an honesty box for listening, you know. Take it for free if you want, but you are stealing. Um, pay if you want. Runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast. That was all going so well, apart from calling out audience thieves and uh, <laughs> telling them to pay on time, you shits. <laughs> and now it's time to take another one of your questions. It is hashtag Ask Jake. Today's question comes from Josh, who wants to know if it's okay to race a park run on a Saturday morning, followed by doing a long run on the Sunday. Uh, this is his preferred choice, uh, preferred way of training. He wants to know if it's okay to do that. Josh, I'm all for park run and I'm all for pushing yourself in a park run if that's something you want to do. I think it is all about getting the balance of intensity right. So, for example, if you do push yourself on a Saturday morning, be very mindful of that come the long run on the Sunday and perhaps don't expect to run at the same sort of pace in your long run that you might have run at had you not have raced the park run on the Saturday morning. I think that's the first thing, just being mindful of that. The second thing is... I would strongly advise against racing the park run. So racing as opposed to just running it. Uh, I would strongly advise racing the park run every single Saturday. I think you can, while it's a good training session, I think you can reach a plateau with that and you will only get so many benefits from doing it. And you could put way too much fatigue in the body if it's week after week that you try to push yourself in the park run. So perhaps maybe schedule one a month, something like that, every four or five weeks where you might really go for it on a Saturday morning. Other than that, just take part in the park run, enjoy it, spending time with friends, being around other runners, and that will leave you slightly fresher for your longer run on the Sunday. Josh, I hope that helps. Good luck with your training. If you've got a question, then it's hashtag AskJake, or you can drop us an email at podcast at runningwithjake.com. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Can you, I've just... Why, why am I getting text messages from you when we're in the middle of the show? I'm doing the hashtag Ask Jake. I'm answering like really important questions to help people. And you're telling me, mate, we need to wrap up quickly because I've got a haircut booked. I mean, why is that? Why are you, why are you, why are you texting me? Because, because, Jake, I don't want to interrupt and say, could you speed it along, please? Could we two times speed it, please? I don't want to do that. So I'm sending you a text. But all you've done is you've, you've extended the length of the show now, which means Sorry. that I'm going to be even later to have my haircut. I've got an appointment. I've got an appointment, man. I've got a meeting this afternoon. I have to have my haircut before then. It's hot. I'm sweating. I want my haircut. Please speak. Why, why did you just... Some things, some things need believe. to be behind the scenes. I can't believe you actually <laughs> text that. Come on. I mean, I... <laughs> As I was texting, believe. I was right, thinking, okay, oh, for God's You've sake, go. please let his phone be on silent. Please let it be. Right. You need to go. You've got long hair. Go get it sorted. <laughs> Look, that's it. We're out of here. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Running Reject, the podcast, your weekly dose of running motivation. Have a great week of training, and we will see you next week. Oh, and one more thing. You haven't truly tested yourself until you attempt something that you are sure you cannot do. Oh,